today's lesson. Actually, it's a brand new series. It's kind of follow-up to, remember I told you about Rick Warren? We did recently just finished a 50 Days of Transformation kind of a message. We looked at seven key areas of our life. Now, we're going to build on that by talking about our worldviews, how we view life. And I want us to clarify our worldviews. And today we're talking about why it matters what we believe. You know, some people say it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. And someone goes, yeah, what's wrong with that? <laughs> a lot of people think that. Well, you could be sincerely wrong. There was a guy in the Bible. His name was Jacob. He had 12 sons. One of his sons named Joseph, he thought was dead, but he was sincerely wrong. Joseph was alive, living in Egypt. If I hold in my hand a glass of clear liquid, and I think that it's water, and I drink it, and it turns out to be arsenic, I will be sincerely dead. I can tell you that. So it takes more than just sincerity. You've got to have the truth. And I want you to have a biblical truth. I want you to have a God-shaped worldview. That's where we're headed in this series. Now, Barna, his research institute, did a national survey and here's kind of some of the things he, he came up with. It said a large share of the nation's problems, that's America, our nation, our problems are directly attributed to the absence of a biblical worldview among Americans. Here's a shocking statistic. Only 4% of Americans have a biblical worldview of life and base their decisions on this. Now, what's more shocking, there's not a, that much separation between Christians or religious people. The more shocking discovery was that even among religious people, folks like us, only 9% of born-again Christians actually hold a biblical worldview that influences the way that they make decisions. I think it was about a year or so ago in one of our elders' meetings, the elders said, you know what, there's not a whole lot of difference between those of us that claim to be Christians and those Outside the world, what do we do about this? Well, we're doing something about this. We're reshaping, we're clarifying what a biblical worldview is and the standards that we should hold up as our values. In this Barna research study, they discovered that gender, age, and income made no difference at all in a worldview. I found this next part interesting, though. But adults who have a biblical worldview are more than twice as likely to have attended college and more than twice as likely to be married. You college-educated married folks, you're more likely to have a biblical worldview. Isn't that interesting? Can you guess the state with the most residents with a biblical worldview? I'll give you a hint. It's a really big state. Texas! <laughs> Can you think of the state that has the least uh, population of worldview that lines up with God. Some of you think of California, right? No, no, we're somewhere in the middle. We're, we're, we're pretty conservative in a lot of ways. If you remember, remember when that proposition came out, I think it was Proposition 8, where we had to rule out, we voted. Do we want same-sex marriage in California where a man can marry a man, a woman can marry? You know how Californians voted on that? We voted it down. But a very liberal ninth um, district court judge said, ah, you Californians don't know what you're talking about, and overturned our votes. They, in essence, legislated from the bench. 
and they're kind of going to do their own thing and make us swallow what they have to force feed us. But we're, we're somewhere in the middle, California. Another survey asked about absolute truth. Is there such a thing as absolute truth? Now, I, I believe there is. Even though I watched a talk show one time where a man got on there and he was very emphatic. He said there is absolutely no absolute truth to which I thought, I wonder if he's absolutely sure about that. And the talk show host never did question him on it. Just kind of let that kind of go over. But I, I believe there is such a thing as absolute truth. Uh, but Americans are were divided really in three equal parts. About a third believe that moral truth is absolute. I mean, if this book was true 2,000 years ago, it's still relevant and it's true today. Amen? It's about a third of our country. Another third believes that morality and truth are always determined by the situation. Ever heard of situation ethics? Well, a third of our country believes in it. And then another third says they don't even know if moral truth exists. Do you see why we're in a series like this? We need to understand where we stand with God. It is important what you believe. Look at what 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4 says. Don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. That's a pretty good rule of advice, isn't it? Examine it. Check it out. Make sure it passes the test. Now, you've probably never heard of this guy that I'm about to mention. His name was Saeed Qutab. But his worldview has drastically influenced your life, even though this guy died about 50 years ago. Who was he? He was a radical Egyptian politician. He read many of the same books that Adolf Hitler read. And he developed a worldview of hatred and violence towards Jews, Christians, and Western culture. So dangerous was this guy that the Egyptian government put him in prison in in the 1960s. And somewhere along the line, they actually executed him and put him to death. And that's all you would have heard about Saeed Qutab were it not for the fact that he had a brother named Mohammed Qutab who picked up his brother's worldview and started teaching it at a university in Saudi Arabia to his all-star pupil by the name of Osama bin Laden. And he took that worldview and he turned it into Al-Qaeda. And today we live in an age of terrorism. Because of this guy's worldviews. And so every time you go to the airport, and you're inconvenienced with long lines, and you're practically strip search, and you have to take your belt off and your shoes off and empty your pockets, and they rumble through all of your stuff, your personal stuff, and body scan you, you can thank Saeed Qutab for that. His worldview. Do you see the impact of a worldview? On a society, you got the black hats and the white hats, and they're at war with each other. The good guys and the bad guys, it used to be real clear who the good guys and the bad guys were, but we got a deep state today that you never know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, who's telling the truth, who's hiding, who's lurking, who's trolling. Ideas have consequences for good or for bad, and the worldviews of people have changed over the years. I'm 64 years old. 
next now June 3rd. Uh, and looking back at our culture, I've lived long enough now to see how far we've come and what a big change there has been. I remember hearing people in their 60s make that statement when I was like in my 20s. And I'm thinking, what are they talking about? Everything kind of seems the same to me. I just hadn't lived long enough yet. And when you live long enough, you have sort of a perspective on history and on culture. You can see the changes that have taken place in people, in your parents even. Probably your first worldviews were developed by your parents. You received those in your family, your coworkers, the media. And the media always tells the truth, right? There's no such thing as fake news. And so what they feed you has got to be true. Celebrities. Music, school teachers, I don't want to pick on school teachers, let's just call it the school district. No, let's go bigger than that. Let's go with school policy that is handed down from the top down and said, every school in America will no longer, this is the year 1962, they better not say a public prayer in school. Anybody remember 1962? We would, we would do a, we would do a, benign little prayer that went something like this. God bless our principal and our teachers and bless our fellow classmates. Bless our mommies and daddies, our parents, we probably said. And, and, and God bless America. Ooh, what a scary prayer. I mean, who can't amen that? But our Supreme Court justices, oh, separation of church and state, which you will not find in the Constitution. Oh, it's, it's against the Constitution. I defy anyone to find that in the Constitution where you can't pray a public prayer and there's the word separation to church and state. You will not find it. It's made up, but you know, you repeat something long enough, a lie long enough, people believe that it's in there. And if you ask the teachers in 1962, they did a survey, and I'm just going from memory. What, what are the top, say, three problems in the school districts in 1962? You know what they would tell you the number one was? Chewing gum in class. Ooh, isn't that terrible? You know, smoking in the boys' room. You know, when there's a song like that? And then, oh, their shirts are untucked. That's not code. And today we're dealing with gang violence and, and guns and, and, and scanners. Oh, Have we come a long way since we took prayer out of school? Has that been a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, nothing God, no Ten Commandments. Let's not raise up standards and pray for our fellow classmates and teachers and parents and country. No, no, that's a real bad thing. No, the bad things happen when lawmakers make bad laws. And societies pay the price. Culture has changed since I was a kid is all the only point I'm trying to make. Now, in this series, we're going to be looking at God's perspective, heaven's perspective. You know, we say a little prayer every day, don't we? Well, I've been saying this prayer every day since we did 40 days of prayer a couple years ago. Uh, And the prayer goes something like this. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? That means that God's perfect will is not automatic on earth. That's automatic in heaven because heaven's perfect. But this is earth. You've got to pray God's will to be done on earth. Do you see why we need Christians with a biblical worldview and hold up the standard? If we're not praying it, it's not going to happen. It's not automatic. God says, you need to pray my will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're going to be looking at six of life's most important questions. 
Like today, why does it matter what I believe? Or how do I know what's true? Who am I? Where did I come from? Why is this world so messed up? And then finally, how do we fix it as we look to Jesus? How do I live like Jesus? See, Jesus is always the answer. If we have Jesus' worldview, and we believe like Jesus, and we act like Jesus, this world could be a better place overnight if everyone did that. Hmm. Let's start with Crosspoint. How's that sound? Now, let's begin with what is a worldview. Look on the screen here. I think the best definition I found of this was from Rick Warren, one of my personal heroes. And here's what he says. My worldview is the beliefs that I build my life on. Now, he could have stopped right there. And in a nutshell, that's really what a worldview is. It's the beliefs that I build my life on and I make my decisions on. But he goes on. Watch how he builds on this theme. It's how I view everything in life. It's how I view God. It's how I view myself. It's how I view other people. It's even how I view Satan. My worldview includes my thoughts and, and life about death, about the past, the present, and the future. Your worldview includes what you feel about pain and about suffering and about problems and about good and evil. Your worldview includes what you think relate about relationships, about time, about money. Yes, even your money. Everything. This is the bottom line. He wraps it up with this. Everything. Everybody say everything with me. Everything you think about life is included in what we call your worldview. Top to bottom, bottom to top, everything is in this thing called a worldview. And everybody has one. Even Forrest Gump had a worldview. Do you remember what it was? He said, life is like a box of, you finish it. (laughs) Yeah, that was his worldview. Where did he get that worldview? His mother, remember? So we're influenced by our parents. We're influenced by society. And that's, you know, you never know what you're going to get. Well, you know what? You know what you're going to get when you got the truth. The truth will set you free. So it's important we have a biblical worldview. Your worldview is simply how you decide what you decide. See, God wired your brain in such a way that every time you start to make a decision, your mind instantly accesses the information and says, now what do I do about this? It could be as simple as crossing the street. When you get out of your car and you start to cross the street, instantly, it happens in a nanosecond, you don't even really think about it, but your mind accesses all the data that you have on crossing streets, and you quickly Uh, surmise, am I able to go from point A to point B and make it safely across the street? You, you know, you kind of assess the traffic conditions and the speed of the cars. And if you think it's safe, you go across. That's the way our, our minds work. Now, let's say you had a worldview that said the world's going to end tomorrow. And you believe that. Would that affect the way you live today? Would that affect some of the decisions, decisions you make in the next 24 hours? Would that affect the way that you acted and conducted your life? Well, of course it would. Absolutely, it would. Most people don't think about worldviews, though. I mean, when was the last time you thought about yours? We leave it to the philosophers. And philosophy is just 
What is philosophy? It's thinking hard about something. (laughs) The philosophers have time to sit and ponder and think a lot about something. Well, I want us to think a lot about what God's worldview is in this next series, okay? And then let's let that fit into our previous series on the seven key areas of our life. Let's let those seven key areas affect and blend into our worldview, a God-shaped worldview, a biblical worldview, if you will. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, Therefore, if a man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old has passed away, the new has come. That just means that you're a, if you're a child of God, if you're saved by grace through faith, if you've trusted Jesus and his uh, work on the cross, his blood to save you, then all of your sins are forgiven. You are brand new. You are born again. You are spotless. You are sinless. And God doesn't hold anything you've ever done or will do against you. And you say, that's great. Wow, I like that. But there's a problem. That's the new you, and that's the way God wants you to see you. But that's not the way you see yourself, is it? See, you were brought up in an imperfect world where you took in worldviews of imperfect people. And perhaps you received scripts growing up by authority figures that said, you're no good. You're never going to amount to anything. You're no good at sports. You're no good at math. You're no good at music. You're too shy. You're too boisterous. And all that stuff goes into our database. And we develop our worldview. The problem is we believe some of that junk. Rather than believing what the Bible says about us, what does the Bible say about us? You're a new creation. You're brand new. And as long as we keep playing those old scripts and buying into those lies, we won't be all that God wants us to be. And so this is an important follow-up to what we just, series to what we just went through. And so you need to get a new view of you. Does that make sense? So that's kind of where we're going. How do you know if you got the wrong view of you? If your worldview is wrong, you're going to be saying things like, why doesn't anything ever work out? Why is it I keep repeating these patterns? Why is it? Well, because that script is in you. And you're not buying into what God says about you, that you're perfect. You're a new creation. So we'll work on that over the next few weeks. We'll correct that faulty worldview. The good news is, your worldview is a choice. You get to choose which one you want to have. I'm going to look at seven here. I'm going to let you choose one today. I'm going to tell you the one I'm choosing. But they're all in competition for your vote, these next seven things we're going to talk about. And you get to all by yourself choose which one you want to live and believe and practice in your life when it comes to making decisions. This is America. We have freedom. Nobody holds a gun to your head and says, you will believe this. God doesn't even do that to you. God says, now this is the preferred worldview. It's the best way to live in this life, and it's the only way to die. You know, because this book tells you how to get from this planet to eternity. But I'm not going to force you to believe it. You're going to have to choose the worldview that you want to believe in. Look at seven of the most popular worldviews in our American culture. Number one. The one with the most toys wins. That's called materialism, friends. Material. Are you materialistic? Well, it can be summarized in the one word, more. 
If you say, I wish I had more, 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 then you might be materialistic. That might be your worldview. You want more money to buy more things so you can have more places to store them. You believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. Materialism says that the only thing that really matters in life is the acquisition of things. And I'll just add this last part on whether I can afford it or not, because after all, I have a credit card here in my pocket. You know, I'll just $29.95 down, $29.95 a week for the rest of my life of easy payments. There's no easy payment, folks. They're all hard. And they don't go away for a long, long time. Have you found that it's a whole lot easier to get yourself into something than it is to get yourself out of something? Be careful with your worldview. Materialism will bankrupt you. Materials confuse our value with our valuables. We're valuable because God says we're valuable, not because of our bank account. Amen? We think if we have more that I'm worth more. No, no, no. Your net worth and your self-worth are not the same. Materialism says get all you can and keep it all for yourself. Now, what I love about Jesus, he was constantly challenging conventional wisdom. And he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, red letter edition, a man's life does not consist of the abundance of, Of his possessions. I'll read that again. I didn't see it on the screen. Did it show up? A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions. So number one, materialism. Don't like that one. That's not a good worldview, not a good way to live your life. Number two, the second popular worldview in our American culture is, I've got to think of me first. That's called individualism. Individualism. We live in a self or serve yourself society. Uh, A society that says, have it your way. It's all about me. Well, Jesus didn't believe in the me generation. And the me generation is just code for individualism. It's all about me. I'm the individual. I'm the most important thing in my life. Well, if that were true, then Jesus never would have said, love your neighbor as yourself. Picture a big old circle here. And in the middle, put yourself, but put your neighbor right there with you. You know where that came from? The Bible, but the Old Testament. Let's go to the New Testament. Big old circle here. Jesus says, a new commandment give I unto you, that you love one another. Oh, how, Jesus? Like myself? No. Love one another even as I loved you. And so you put your neighbor in the middle of the circle of your life. And what did Jesus do? He took himself out of the circle and died for us. He says, that's the new way I want you to live. That's a new commandment. Well, that's a whole new way of thinking. The individualist doesn't like that at all. He doesn't even like the old commandment, much less the new commandment. Were you able to see those circles? Yeah, I'm just making sure. I don't have a chalkboard, and I don't have a PowerPoint for that, but I was hoping that in your mind's eye you would get that, and it sounds like I have got one smart audience in here today. But you get it. Individualism says, I'm tired of this marriage, and I don't care what it does to the kids. I don't care what it does to you. I'm walking out of this marriage because I've got to be happy. 
I got to think of me first. Isn't that kind of a rotten way to think? That's not Jesus thinking. That's not a biblical worldview which says, you know, honor marriage. You know, don't commit adultery. Don't cheat on your wife or your husband or your spouse. Don't do that. You know, individualism says stuff like, say you're at work and you want to get to the top of the ladder. I don't care who I've got to step on. I don't care who I've got to crawl over to get to the top of that ladder. It's all about me. I've got to make myself happy. That's individualism at its core. And it's not a great way to live. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 25, if you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. Well, what if I give it away, Jesus? But if you give up your life for me, you will find true life. The true life is in service. The true life is in giving. The true life is in ministry. And if you've been here for a year and you've not gone to 301 class, you need to go to 301. But you've got to go to 101, 201. I'll talk more about that at our meet and greet next week for our newbies. I want you to be a part of that. Number three. Not only materialism, not only individualism, but hedonism. Someone says, well, I'm no hedonist. Are you sure of that? Do whatever feels good. Are you into like, oh, I want to feel good. I don't want to feel bad. I got to feel real, real good. The most important thing in a hedonist life is how I feel. But Jesus comes along and changes the rules and says, you know what? Successful people, godly people do the right thing whether they feel like it or not. Have you ever not felt like doing something that was right, but did it anyway, and then go, wow, thank you, Holy Spirit, for the power to do the right thing? Some of you say, yeah, this morning I didn't feel like coming to church, but I'm glad that I did now, because I need a biblical worldview. And this is the basis for the next few lessons that we're going to be looking at. You would have missed all that if you weren't here today. If you're living for pleasure, then you are a hedonist. Proverbs 21.17 says, are you addicted to thrills? What an empty life. The pursuit of pleasure is never satisfied because you just go from one high to the next high and the next, and this high better be better than the last high. See, that's hedonism. Don't want to live like that. Bad, bad worldview. Number four, whatever works for you, that's called pragmatism. People think, they take pride in me. So I'm just pragmatic. Different strokes for different folks. You live the way you want to live. Let me live the way I want to live. Just being pragmatic about it. In our multicultural, pluralistic world, where everybody wants to do their own thing and never take any responsibility for their actions, and nobody, even Christians, don't even want to say, hey, you know what, that's wrong. You know, we need to learn to start you know, reading this book and say, okay, some things are true, some things are not true that the world teaches. But the things that are true, there is something called right and wrong. And by the way, if you come to my 101 class, the way we conclude that class, and not everyone likes this, but i got to be honest with you, is uh, in our Constitution, uh, we have a statement that says that the pastor, Pastor Bruce, Pastor Mike, will not do a wedding ceremony uh, between a man and a man or a woman and a woman. You said, well, you know what? The government says it's okay. The courts say it's okay. Well, you know what? I got a higher court that says that's not okay. And we're following this one. Okay? 
Now, some people like that. Some people don't like that. Does that mean we don't like people? Does that mean we don't, you know, love people, reach out to everybody? No, we reach out to everybody, but there are some lines we do not cross. And that's one of those lines. Abortion, the same way. I believe that every abortion stops a beating heart. And who... And, and, and God had a purpose for that baby. And we'll never know what it is. Why? Someone ended its life. And now our lawmakers are talking about infanticide. Let's kill the baby outside of the womb. A woman goes in for an abortion and the baby lives. Now what do you do with it? A bunch of lawmakers are saying, let's kill it. Killing a baby on its birthday. That's sick. But that's the way society's going. That's the dark side. There's the white hats. Who are the white hats? Oh, we don't believe that. Have you spoken up lately about that? We need to say what we believe. And you need to know what you believe. You need to know what you think. You got to have a worldview. Some things are just evil. Pragmatism was behind Adolf Hitler's decision to kill 6 million Jews. You know, it might have worked for him. But it was pure evil. You don't break God's universal laws. They break you. They say, well, I don't believe in God's universal laws. Oh, really? How about the one about gravity? Well, God came up with that. Yeah, God created it. Well, I don't believe that either. I'll prove it to you. You're in New York City. You climb up the Empire State Building and say, hey, I can fly. Watch this. Meet me at 42nd Street. I'll fly right down. So you jump off. And man, you start heading down. And you holler up with a bullhorn. Hey, how's that working out for you? That not believing in gravity kind of thing. And you say, uh, so far so good. Some of you are thinking, well, what's he talking about? Well, see, the fall doesn't kill you. It's a sudden stop at the other end where you go splat. Right? And some people are having affairs. And you say, How's that working out for you? And they say, so far, so good. Haven't got caught yet. There's a splat coming for you too. Some of you are cheating on your taxes. Some of you are stealing from your employers. There's a splat coming. There's a splat coming, okay? I'll say it again. You, you think it's working out so far, so good? No, no. Listen to what the Bible has to say about that. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man. I've heard men brag about having affairs and laugh about it and think, oh, look what I'm getting away with. So far, so good. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. That's what the Bible says about that. Number five, God does not exist. Man, this is a tough one. I don't have enough faith. I'll just tell you right up front to be an atheist. This is called atheism. I don't have enough faith to be one. See, if God doesn't matter, then you don't matter. If we're just freaks of accident of nature, then life doesn't really matter. Someone says, well, you know, there are accidents in nature. Well, uh, yeah, maybe, perhaps. Let's say I'm out in the middle of the desert, far from society. I'm walking along a path, and I see a little rock that's out of place. I might say, well, yeah, that's a little bit out of place. That may be a little freak of nature. But if I continue down that same path and I see a Rolex watch... That's not there by accident. That's not a freak of nature. I pick that watch up and I say, hmm, how did this get here? Here is a Rolex watch with all that detail, 
all those moving parts and perfect precision, you say, there had to have been a watchmaker, right? Show me a building without a builder. Show me a painting without a painting. Show me a watch without a watchmaker. And show me a creation without a creator. Our planet runs in perfect precision. Better than any Rolex watch. Why? Because design demands a designer. I call that designer God. Jesus, to be more specific, because he was the creating force. And he holds everything together by the word of his power. The power in his word. Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist, says, if you remove the question of God, the question of purpose of life is irrelevant. That's true. That's a true statement. Because if there is no God, live any way you want to live. Eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow you die. And there won't be any consequences in the end. I suppose that's the end result of atheism. No purpose. We're just an accident. I'm glad I got the Bible that says this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. Paul writes, From the beginning of, watch this, creation, God has shown what he is like by all he has made. And he made a perfect world in the beginning. That's why those people don't have an excuse. Even the atheists believe in something. They believe in their heart of hearts there's a God, but they don't want to admit up to it. They know about God, but they don't honor him. They want to live their own life. They want to honor themselves and make themselves God or even thank him. They claim to be wise, but they are fools. Number six, you're your own God. Where did that one come from? That one goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. That's humanism. That's humanism. Adam, Eve, you eat this, you'll be like God. Really? Man, give it to me. They're going to need it fast enough. They want to be their own God. See, there's an innate, God put in every person this innate need to worship something. And you will worship something. You'll either worship yourself, or what a lot of people do today is they worship nature. They worship creation. They worship the sun, the moon, the stars. You know what? I don't worship any of that stuff. I don't worship the creation because I worship the creator of all the stuff. I just go right to the source. Romans one twenty five says, They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And they worshiped created things rather than the creator. All right. There are six popular American culture worldviews. I don't buy into any of them. Number seven. Here's the one I like. God made me for a purpose. That's called theism. Theism, the Greek word for theism is... The Greek word is God. And so when someone goes to college and they study theology, what are they studying? They're studying about God. Theology is the study of God. And both Christianity and Judaism believe in one God who's our creator, and he created us for a purpose. Paul puts it like this in Colossians 1.16. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible... Everything God started in him and finds it, got started in him and finds its purpose in him. What that's saying is, everything was created by God, 
for God. And until we understand that, life will not make sense. It just won't. You'll have a whole other worldview. God created you to love you. He just wants you to love him back. Now, these seven worldviews are all in competition with each other for your vote. Barna, at the end of that study I quoted in the beginning, gave this summary. The reason, or the primary reason, people don't act like Jesus is they don't think like Jesus. I want us, by the end of this series, to all be thinking like Jesus. Because the way you think determines the way that you act. Why does it matter what I believe? Your beliefs determine your behavior. Proverbs 4.23 puts it this way. Be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. Proverbs 29.18. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they're blessed. You want to be blessed? Think like God. See what he's revealing. 1 Peter 3.15 gives sort of a command to all of us. Always be ready to give a logical defense. See that word defense? It's the Greek word uh, apologia. We get our English word apologetics from that. And it's not the study of making apologies to people. It's the defense of the gospel. It's defending what you believe. Always be ready to give a logical defense to anyone who asks you to account for the hope that is in you. But do it courteously and respectfully. Did you know that God expects you to know what you believe? Not only what you believe and why you believe it, but then to be able to explain it to other people. Well, how do I strengthen this kind of a worldview? Number one, learn what is truth. Learn the truth. You're going to build your life on something. Don't let it be popular opinion. Don't let it be sand, but let it be the rock The foolish man built his house on the sand. The wise man built his house upon the rock. And what was the rock? The word of God. Truth, not trends. Proverbs 23, 23, 23. Learn the truth and never reject it. Get wisdom, self-control, and understanding. How do you learn that? You learn this. Number two, discern what's false. 1 John 4, 1, we said... Don't believe everything you hear. Carefully weigh and examine what people tell you. Not everyone who talks about God comes from God. Did you know that? There are a lot of lying teachers loose in the world. So make sure what the teacher's teaching lines up with the word. And then turn from the world to the word. Romans 12.2 Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, the world system. It's dark. It's evil. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There it gets back to that. 50 days of transformation. You've got to renew this. It starts with your beliefs. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, you've got to decide where you're going to get your advice. From the world or from the word. I suggest you get it from the word. And then one last thing. Concern yourself with God's agenda what God wants to happen in life. Luke 12, 31, God will give you all you need from day to day. If, 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 this is always a conditional. Here's the promise, here's the condition. If you make the kingdom of God your primary concern, 
I know you're going to leave here today and you've got a lot of things on your plate. You're going to start work tomorrow. Some of you are working tonight. But you can only really have one primary thing. You can't have two primary things. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. Notice he didn't say you should not. He says you cannot. You've got to make a choice. And if you make the right choice and choose God, you will have amazing results in your life. Amen? Can we pray about it? All right. We Christians have what the world needs. We need to be able to share why we believe it. And that, friends, will change the world. Dear God, I want to thank you for giving us the truth on which to build our lives upon. Truth that will never change. When everything else is changing in this ever-changing world, our lives have a rock of stability. We have an anchor in your word. We can grab onto it when the storms of life come, and they will come. Satan never gives up. Now you pray. You might want to say in your heart of hearts, Dear God, I want to know the truth. I want to discern what is false. And I want to turn from the world to the word. Help me to know what I believe. And then help me to live what I believe. And help me to share what I believe. In Jesus' name, amen.